everybody. Welcome to 12 Questions Podcast. My name is Dave Yates, and we are here solo today. Uh, Anna Valenzuela, our co-hostess with the mostest. She is on the road chasing her comedy dreams. She's with Brandy Posey, and they are doing shows all across the country. So uh, we miss her dearly, but the show must go on. So I'm going to read our clarity statement so you get what we're about and what we're up to. Welcome to 12 Questions. We believe that growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share our experiences with guests who do the same. We're not affiliated with AA, NA, or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions has absolutely no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We're simply two people that happen to be in recovery that want to give hope to anyone struggling. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are not or choose not to divulge. The purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves and others we only hope that you can learn something about yourselves by listening and i am excited we we got a good guest today we always pick good guests on this podcast uh <laughs> this guest recently celebrated two years big two years and uh, we always let guests introduce themselves so who are we speaking with today hello i'm jen h um from chicago but i am living in new york city right now in the east village um i'm a student at new york university i uh i'm 28 and i'm in my undergrad right now because i you know dropped out and decided to drink alcoholically for a long time yeah but, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah you know it's so funny it's like you're like i'm 28 and i'm back in school i'm like i know some motherfuckers who are 48 and back in school so. right 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 yeah it's a uh, it, it's interesting though you know i'm like 10 years older than everybody else in the class but like with our masks and just how i dress like nobody nobody knows that i'm older um, so that's been interesting because I have like a, a Spanish class, you know, just like an intro to Spanish. And, you know, I usually wouldn't say how old I am or anything, but we're asking each other questions like, how old are you? <laughs> uh, and, and that's all, you know, and they're, they're always like, oh, you're 28. Oh, you don't look at, you know, like I'm supposed to be, you know, dead at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you're you're, no, you're, you're dried up at 28. <laughs> yeah. You're dusty. <laughs> I'm fucking 35, and I feel like I'm almost dead. So you know. dust bunny. Yeah, just just fuck. But how so? How long have you been in New York? Uh, got here beginning of August of this year. So so it's only been a few months. Um, what August, September, October, November? Yeah, three months. Only so are three are months. you settling in with the recovery community? Have you found your people? You know, I, I'm settling in. It's, I mean, adjusting to a place, you know, anywhere is, is a lot, but adjusting to New York city, um, is, is a whole, a whole different experience. Um, you know, I, I have some friends here, but I think honestly, it's, I had such a, a really incredible community in Chicago. I think I, I, uh, I haven't found quite that yet. Um, you know, I just have such a, you know, such an amazing circle of women in my life and we're all still really close. Um, so it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not completely disconnected, but you know, it just takes some time. I have a few friends, but just exploring. I found some meetings I really, really like. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, during the beginning of the pandemic, uh, myself and a, a bunch of comedians, we started a zoom meeting. So we meet Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays still to this day. Uh, and a, a good chunk of them are in New York city. <gasps> So if you would like some, oh, new, some new friends that also happen to be dirtbag comics like yours. Hell too, yeah. I uh, like laughing. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> or <crying. laughs> who, does, who doesn't? But uh, yeah, there was a, the, the one I keep hearing about that's supposedly legendary in uh, New York City is called Perry Street. Have you heard of this? Yeah. Per yeah. I went Perry to, Street yeah. seems to be where the, the spot is. Yeah, so I uh, I've been to Perry Street once, and uh, and I went out there first time and the only time I've ever been there. I just like walk over there, and I was having like a just a you know you know those days where you like run into a meeting and you're like I need to be in a meeting right now, you know. And I like ran straight from school, and I was like Perry Street. Okay, people talk about this in meetings. I'm gonna go here, and like I get there, and like outside of it there's a huge like film crew and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And they're like filming sex in the city. Like the new, the new seasons, like oh, Sarah no. Jessica Parker's like right outside of Perry street right over there. And I was like, what in the hell? And uh, yeah, I actually met a couple, uh, a couple fish bands there, which was great. Right on. So, 
Yeah. 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 The, yeah the, the, the fish fans are everywhere. They, if, if they're nothing else, they are spread out amongst the living. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I literally, I was just, I was just in Vegas for fish Halloween and it was fucking gnarly. Yeah. Got, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. I got COVID. Mm-hmm. Got, got everybody. COVID. I was just, just talking to a friend about that. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm here. Fucking it it sucks. Like uh like I've been like I'm vaccinated and things like that and I've been doing all right yeah. the past uh 2 years keeping my immune system up. Like as soon as the shutdown happened, I'm like, well, I can't really control any of these fucking dipshits out in the streets, you know. So and what I do for a living involves rooms full of people, so when we started to get work again, uh the best I could like I drinking a 1000 milligrams of vitamin C every day, zinc, mushroom powder, like the whole nine yards so like finally mm-hmm. after two years it caught up with me and uh, i've been had symptoms since thursday so this would be like day eight or nine with symptoms and it's just like a mild cold i lost my sense of smell two days ago and i think it's starting to come back a little bit like day one without smell i was just like oh, i'm gonna make some hot ass chili and i made some hot ass chili and i, I went <laughs> i went ham on this like i went like <laughs> Indian grade chili powder and you like I, I went nuts yeah. couldn't taste couldn't nothing. fucking nothing and I was just like well it, it it's warm and I can tell it's good because like there's beans and meat in it but nope yeah so like so I, yeah I it's I consider myself lucky considering that there's other people that this really hits like a fucking freight train but I just been locked in my house for like eight days straight you know right how how does that even work with like figuring out when you can go out? Like, do you have to just like go and get another test? Do they just say mm-hmm. like how many days? Yeah, and that's um, the shit part is it's like there's no real protocol right. that's accurate for everybody, and I think that's why we're still in the mat the mess where we're in. One is because there's ding dong dipshits who are selfish, but the second is there's no standard of practice. Like my friend in Canada, she goes. Hey, is there anybody checking up on you? Like from the gut? Like, is there any programs like making sure you're all right? I'm like, no, no. Because evidently in Canada, like when you test positive, they put you in the system and they send you information like, hey, like da 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 da. I'm making sure you do this and that. So like, I, it's the information I've gotten is basically through word of mouth. So my friend Forrest mm-hmm. got it and he was vaccinated as well, and he said he felt fine after 10 days and started testing negative after the 10 11 12 day mark so mm-hmm. that's what i have to go off of is my buddy for my buddy Forrest. <laughs> uh you know and it, it's it it really is uh it's scary and it's a lonely scary feeling to to get sick uh and be alone in a house with covid because you can't go out mm-hmm. like Thankfully, I get to go to Zoom meetings and I, I can still record this podcast and I'm not hacking up lungs. Like I, I'm handling it pretty well, but I think a lot of that has to, it's attributed to the fact that I've kept my immune system pretty on point right. for two years, you know, uh, but that you have to surrender to like, I'm, I don't know when it's going to go away. Uh, like I still feel like I got a cold today and this is day eight, I think day eight or nine. Um, and it's like, man, this is. So it's it's worse than a cold, but it's not like I've not been like bedridden. I've been able to like bebop around my house and, you know, I get relatively seven, eight hours of sleep. So but it's surrender. It's it's essentially a new form of surrender. And like anytime you get sick, if you're anything like me, like I'm a workaholic. So I like I'll Mm -hmm. I'll keep going, 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 even if I'm sick. And with this, it's like you really can't. You know, like you can't go anywhere unless you want to be a big piece of shit and get people sick, which I don't. Uh, So that's that's what surrender looks like for me currently. I just got to wait it out. Every morning I wake up, I've got some essential oils that I sniff. I'm like, can I smell this? (laughs) Not really. Okay, well, I guess I should stay the fuck inside for another day. Um, So that's that's what surrender looks like for me. And that's our first question, Jen. What does surrender look like to you now that you're sober? You know, surrender to me, I feel like comes, it's constantly coming up in different areas of life. You know, I never just like surrender and then I'm, and then I'm just done with it. Um, You know, I feel like we are kind of taught that 
surrender as some kind of weakness that we need to be able to like be strong and get through this, you know, like with your sickness, you know, it might, might kind of manifest as like, Oh, I still want to work. I still want to do all these things, but it's like, you know, learning to learning to be able to surrender. And, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of strength in that. Um, and, you know, surrender, I think also like sometimes it takes a more, a more passive role in, you know, in your situation, um, in, in resting, but also for me right now, like surrender is taking a really, really active role. Um, you know, I, I recently, um, you know, I I haven't talked about this a lot, but I, you know, I, I had an eating disorder for a really, really long time from the time I was like 11. And, you know, it, it pretty much went away during COVID because I was so scared about my health that I, you know, didn't want to have any kind of like pre-existing, you know, I didn't want to be harming myself in any, in any kind of ways. And then I moved here and I, I started like kind of slipping into some, well, not kind of like slipping into some like really unhealthy behaviors and surrendering to that for me really looked like actively like getting in with a psychiatrist and, and finding a new therapist and finding a nutritionist and getting to a medical doctor and like doing all of these things, you know, because I thought surrender was just kind of waving a white flag and, and being able to, to just give this away, but surrender for an alcoholic in, in, you know, in my alcoholism means doing the work as well. You know, if I, if I just put down drinking and don't do any of the work, my brain is still running alcoholically. And I don't think that's necessarily true surrender. Um, so, you know, at, at this point, surrender is, is very active. It's taking action. Um, and it's, a and it's a, a strength. Yeah. And it, it literally, depending on whatever program you're in, one of, one of them reads it every meeting, almost every meeting is many of them have grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Okay. Like mm-hmm. the 12 steps is going to fit me, hopefully with the ability to be honest, open-minded and willing enough to get the extra fucking help that I need. You know, mm-hmm. me, me doing the 12 steps is not going to, you know, arrest my diabetes. Like if I just get sober, like I still could lose a foot if I'm not taking care right. of that shit you know, or mental health. Like I, I am a big advocate of, you know, like when, when the whole world shut down, like I literally had to get a, a, a therapist specializing in grief because I lost my father two years ago and like mm-hmm. he was 59 years old and that is super young and fucking tragic. And it's not like I'm the only person that's ever lost a dad, but it was fucking me up in the way that it's like, it, it was, it was hindering every aspect of my life and I needed to get extra help. Because it was like me not drinking or not doing drugs. Like at that juncture, I was like maybe eight years sober and I know how to stay sober. But like sometimes you need to also learn that you need more than that to stay sane. And and that's mm-hmm. it's it's a humbling experience to to hit these emotional bottoms. And it doesn't matter mm-hmm. whether you're 30 days, 30 years in recovery is if you're in tune at least the bare minimum, if you're in tune with the honesty that any of the programs request, then you're going to know, yo, there's something wrong. Like, uh, I stopped filling my brain with poison. So now I have that voice, that conscious, you know, that goes, hey, something ain't right here. We're doing, we're doing dumb, dumb shit again. You yeah. Know? And I yeah, know if, it feels the same as drinking, but it's, it's not. So <laughs> I, it might not seem like an immediate thing that has to be, but it, it kind of is. And, you can go through insane moments without the drink or the drug. That's just, mm-hmm. the, that's the reality. It's some of us are not only alcoholics and drug addicts, some of us have depression or some of us have, you know, food stuff or things like that. And it's just like there, there are more than just not drinking and doing drugs sometimes to handle. And to you'll realize that there's some people around the rooms that like, they have the not drinking and not doing drug shit down, but they refuse mm-hmm. to look at any of the other things. And then you get these people that are 10, 20, 30 years. They're crusty. They're fucking angry all the time. And it's like, I don't want to be that. Like, what's the point of being sober if I'm fucking at the bare minimum? I just want to be even keel. That's the reason I drank and did drugs. It's like, I just want some homeostasis of like, mm-hmm. I can manage these emotions. You know, and so that's the same with sobriety. It's like, I'm not saying I'm going to be pissing rainbows, 
fucking 24 mm-hmm. 7 but it's like at least it, it it keeps the waves from the ups and the downs it keeps them more in the center and they're more manageable like my insanity is more manageable when i don't pick up the drink or the drug and and the next question is jen what is the most insane moment you've had either pre-recovery or current recovery Ooh. <laughs> you know i I don't even know if we want to, you know, get into the, the pre-recovery kind of stuff because, because that all just looked like, you know, I'm, I'm an alcoholic with a drug problem. And when you spend four days awake running around doing drugs and drinking, you know, it's, it's just absolute delusional insanity. Um, and I, you know, I'm not unique in any of, in any of those things. Um, but I've had some really insane but in like a, in like a synchronistic spiritual kind of way in sobriety, like how things have lined up for me, um, in some really insane ways. Um, I mean, going from like living at my dad's house two years ago, having lost every single job that I've had in the past several years, like drinking every day with like hands and, you know, feet numb to like being a 4.0 student and getting into NYU within the first two years of my sobriety is pretty fucking insane. Um, and I, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is where we're trying to go with the, the term insane, but I think um, just the way, you know, sometimes if I, if I feel doubtful of, um, or if I have felt doubtful of, you know, whether anything's going to work out, I can look at some specific moments in my life and be like, okay, like these things have lined up so, so perfectly. And so interestingly, like, like part of the reason that I got into NYU, um, and, and, you know, had this recommendation letter from a woman was because I, I lost one job another job because of my drinking. And at the time I was like too like broken down to get another job really. And so I was just like living at my dad's house, like delivering groceries through Instacart, just depressed, like crying in between the orders, you know, and I showed up on this woman's doorstep and she ended up like hiring me at this point to be her nanny. And then she like ended up, um, starting a business that hired me into a management position and, you know, and this, and it, and it is related to mental health. So I ended up having this, this management experience in the mental health field as I, uh, as I was applying to schools for psychology and I had this really, really incredible reference and it's just, it's incredible how things like this, like line up, right? Like, like, you know, it, it really came from this terrible experience in my drinking where I lose my job embarrassingly. And I'm like, I, you know, how can I ever like, you know, show my face to the world again? And then I end up like finding this, this job with this person who can write me, you know, this recommendation. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just incredibly grateful for how that's all lined up. And um, it, it's those kinds of things that just really you know, the further I get along in sobriety that I can see like how they connect. Um, it's those kinds of things just keep blowing my mind. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be insane bad all the time. And that's why it's either insane, good or insane, bad. Um, and recovery is insane. Like it, it, it's when I stop trying to fix, manage and control everything and everybody in my life. And I just let go things start to work out, not necessarily how I expect them to, but they work out the way they're supposed to work out, Absolutely. you know, and, uh, and even in the hardest parts, like it's like, you know, going through pain in recovery, it's like you don't see it now, but it turns out to be exactly what needed to happen. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I look at my own trajectory and I think I was like maybe four or five years sober doing comedy in Illinois, traveling around the country, had a little girlfriend at the time. She cheats on me while I'm on the road and completely smashes my my insides up. And that was the pain that I needed to start saving money and move to Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. like within a year, I was the fuck out of Illinois because of that pain. And I it took a lot of years to look back on that and be grateful for this person. 
Uh, but it was the amount of pain that I needed to get the fuck out of there. And now I've been in Los Angeles for, you know, five going on six years now. Like I, I, I'm a professional stand-up comic. I travel the country. I released an album, all these things that I, that would probably have never happened had I stayed put because Mm -hmm. staying put is safe and that's okay too. Some people need to stay put for a little while, but like I had about Four, like I said, four years under my belt, and it was time. It was time to go. It, like there was, n- mm-hmm. there was nothing going to happen, career-wise, where I was sitting, you know. And and I'd already lived in Chicago. Uh, Chicago will always be home for me. But you know, given the business that I'm in, it was a choice. Was a, you either pick New York City or you pick Los Angeles. And I know more people in Los Angeles, and fuck the snow. Uh, so <laughs> that's why I said I'm going to L.A. And that's. You know, that decision was based in, you know, like, what is, what do I want? What do I, what, what, what can I do about it that's within my control? And then trusting that, like, I've always been taken care of, even at my worst. Mm -hmm. I look at the facts that I've always been taken care of. And that's how I, how I make decisions. I just, I trust that if I am to believe that there's something out there that wants only the best for me, that I have enough sobriety people to run ideas by and then I just got to put in the work so Jen Mm -hmm. how do you make decisions in your life today you know (laughs) I feel like I'm I still struggle with like the smaller decisions like what do I want to eat today I have no idea you know if I look at a menu I just I'm just gonna look at it and, and not know and then just like choose something when the waitress comes you know like i I I struggle with those kinds of smaller things still. Um, But bigger decisions, a lot of it has to do with, you know, being okay with shelving a decision, being okay with not making a decision right here and right now, um, running it by a lot of other people, Um, my sponsor, a lot of other women in the program, you know, and a lot of times we'll find that there will be people who have similar experiences you know that's that's where we can find this strength in sharing these experiences with each other um and i and i think a lot of it too is is checking my motives is really trying to dive into the motives behind things like like um you know why am i why am i talking to this person am i am i talking to them to you know because i want attention am i talking to them because i'm trying to fill a void um you know what's what's going on there Um, and, you know, even, even like with drinking in in the beginning, when I was making a decision, you know, should I drink today when it's, you know, harder in the beginning, um, I can even say like, if, if I, if I don't have alcohol in my system and I'm craving alcohol, I'm not actually craving alcohol, right? Like I'm craving connection. I'm craving, I'm craving acceptance. I'm I'm craving love. Um, and so if I can like get down beneath these things of like, you know, what, whether I'm going to go one way or another, if I can look at my intentions, honestly, sometimes it helps to really just write stuff out in a journal, um, and bounce it off of other people, take some time with it, pray about it, sit with it, see how it feels. The answer will usually come to me. Yeah. And I think too, it's just, it's, it's a practice. It's a, it's unlearning the I make decisions that are emotionally driven versus I make decisions that are a little bit more of a pause, you know? Um, And I was talking about this with another person. It's like when you first get sober, like your first year, it's like you run all the decisions by people. And then Mm -hmm. you get a little time under your belt and like you get a little bit of tools and then you're like, oh, I can make this decision on my own. And then I, I really will just check in if it doesn't work out or, you know, or like, hey, just to follow up, blah, 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 I did this, you know, even today, like even today, I'm coming up on like 10 years and the bigger decisions in my life, I have to check in with my people mm-hmm. and not everybody's going to be my people, but like I have them. I have people that I trust uh, that have been with me uh, through, you know, different junctures of my recovery. Like I've got a few friends right now that... I, yeah, like my friends from the, the New York City meeting, like I, I have two dudes that I call almost on a weekly basis, and we had not even met each other in real life up until recently. Like my friend in Brooklyn, we, because we, we knew all the same people doing comedy, you know, we, we were friends 
and we were both ha about the same level of comedy like we both been in it like a little over a decade you know and so we but we they're they're my they're my go-to front row of people right now my friend andy my friend andy lives in um salt lake city now but like i met andy for the first time because i had a long layover in denver and he had i had like three hours to kill and he was he just happened to be also in denver and he came to the airport we ate chipotle and we met each other for the first time in real life and i had talked to him almost at least once a week if not more for the majority of the pandemic and that's that's i'm very grateful for the the people in my life that i i've i've even met just recently you know and uh like i, I used to say this when i first got sober to people you know about losing friends and the people that matter will still stick around but it's like some of the best friends in my life like i had not even met yet when i got sober you know, like some of some of the people that are going to be there till the end, you haven't even met yet. And that that's there's hope in that, you know, and that's surprising. Mm -hmm. That's surprising because you think you're like, oh, fucking, I'm never going to make a new friend or like, oh, this is a new scary area. Like when I moved to Los Angeles, fucking I hated the program out here because I was like, it's different. <laughs> it is different. It's like the clapping and the birthday cakes. Fuck these people. <laughs> Fuck those cakes. Oh, you yeah, oh, oh, so-and-so made the coffee. Congratulations. You're supposed to make the fucking coffee. Duh, clap, clap, clap. <laughs> you know, and that's, I mean, that's, when I get out of my own way, that's, that's when I'm at my best, you know, and that's, that's, that's a surprising thing that I've learned about me is that time and time again, no matter how many times I come back to this notion is when Dave gets out of Dave's way, that's when things work out. That's when things happen. And that's the next question is what is the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself thus far, Jen? No, I think the most surprising things I've learned about myself is that I, well, one that I'm not that terrible, <laughs> but uh, you know, that I, that I'm not as introverted as I thought, that I don't hate people as much as I thought. Um, you know, that was a big thing for me. My, my disease really wanted me, it wanted me to be alone and isolated, um, but then would still try to use my drinking sometimes as a way to connect with people. It was this like really kind of insane, like back and forth. Um, and, and I always, identified as like an introvert. And, you know, I had a therapist one time who was like, you're not even that much of an introvert. Like you're just really traumatized. And I was like, you know, what do you know? You've only been, you know, listening to me tell my whole, what the hell do you know with your degrees and shit <laughs> with, your, with your PhD, yeah. huh. you know, <laughs> screw you. Um, yeah, that was, that was a while ago. Um, but you know, she was right. I, I feel like you know, I wasn't somebody who took to the group aspect of recovery very easily. You know, I, 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 you know, I have PTSD. And so around big groups of people, sometimes if I'm not like getting, getting drunk or, or have, you know, if I don't have anything to like calm me down, I mean, I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable. I was tense. I wanted to leave immediately. Like, you know, everybody is, is gonna harm me or there's, there's gonna be some issues. Um, and, uh, you know, I've really realized through recovery, you know, just how much of that is fear, how much of that is, is just learned, learned behavior, um, and how much I really love people. And, and what I was, what I was looking for was actually acceptance of those people and of myself and a connection with the people around me. Um, yeah, one of my favorite acronyms that gets hurled around the rooms is for fear that it's false evidence appearing real. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and don't get me wrong, like there's there's a lot of fucking dipshits in the rooms. Like like yeah. like not everybody not everybody who's in the rooms is fucking awesome, you know? Right. Like uh <laughs> I, I make yes. it very clear to people like look, you're going to come in here and it's like a bunch of fucking trash cans trying their best. That's that is the base level is, you know, you got a bunch yeah. of people who ultimately this is the best they've ever been. And that's mm -hmm. not good sometimes, but it is truly the best that they've ever been. Like I used to have a guy uh, when I first got sober, uh, 
we were like friends on Facebook because that's what you do when you're new in recovery. You're like, oh, I guess we're all friends because we're in the same club. (laughs) And then like, I remember like I was doing some local community theater and I had to shave my beard into a mustache for this role that I was doing. And this guy started commenting on the pictures, like real like homophobic shit. Like you go, oh, you got must, are you gonna suck some dicks? And, and so I would just delete it. I'm like, this guy's fucking insane. So I would delete the comment, and then he posted again. And so I delete it. And then the third time he posted, I deleted it. And I messaged him. I said, hey man, like, yo, this ain't cool. Like I don't really know you like that. Like to be busting balls in this way. Uh, so please stop. And he's like, oh, a comedian can't take a joke. And nothing makes me more irate than when someone. Uh, tries to get away with abusing me uh, by using my profession as a Mm -hmm. scapegoat. You know, it's like, no, motherfucker, I know how to take jokes, but like, you're not a friend. Like, we we see each other in this fucking room that smells like cigarettes, and then (laughs) that's it. Like, you don't ever come to a show. You've never asked me for coffee, so you you don't get the privilege of being able to say off the wall shit to me. And he starts going in. And so I just blocked him. And I was talking to my sponsor. And I go, yo, like, fucking, this guy is a real piece of shit. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Uh, But he used to be in a biker gang. And he used to do a lot of really awful shit to people. Uh, So it's not good the way he is right now. But I can guarantee you this is the best he has. It's the best he's ever been. So I've always filtered through when I run into people in the rooms where it's just like, that's, they're not great. But. Who am I to say this is not their best? It's not good, mm-hmm. but rather him in there than out there, you know? And yeah. I think it was like six months to a year later, he comes up to me after a meeting and he makes an immense, you know? And, and I learned that early. I, got, I had maybe like two years sober and this dude had like coming up on 15 and he was still having to make amends for, for some ding dong shit that he was saying. It's like, well, I guess that's that's the program. That's, you know, mm-hmm. that's what you learn. It's... It takes a lot of honesty and it takes a lot of honesty, like you were saying, to like realize it's like, oh, maybe it's not, maybe it's, there's deeper issues is why I don't like certain people or it's why I'm reserved. It's like, and that's mm-hmm. the peeling back the layers and the, and the defense mechanisms that quite honestly, I mean, preserved me. Like some of my character defects or defenses or however you want to spin them, I mean, they served me well for a long time. And that's why their knee-jerk reactions. It's protected me. Um, and that's, but to get through those takes honesty, to, to get down to the fact that like, okay, uh, there's more to me than drugs and alcohol problems. Uh, it takes a lot of honesty. Jen, how honest are you with yourself and those around you? You know, I, w- I would want to say always, but you know, that's that's not the case. Like yesterday, I sent my teacher an email and I was like, I feel sick. <laughs> I can't come to class, <laughs> you know? And it was really because, of, you know, the night before was my anniversary and I, I didn't have time to like study the material and didn't want to come into class and look stupid. And so I just like called into class. Um, and that was the first time I've done that. And I need to just like get that out. Um, first time I've done that in, in sobriety. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like what I thought was like me being honest with myself and, you know, in, in my first month of sobriety is completely different than me being honest with myself now, because like you mentioned, we're, we're kind of peeling back all of these layers and understanding like what all these defects are and, and what's really, what's really true and what's really not, you know, because I've, I lived portions of my life in just complete delusion. Um, and I think, you know, I, I really just struggle with, at this point, I struggle with like being honest about boundaries sometimes. And I, I, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Um, you know, I, I like right now I'm struggling with like being honest with, uh, with a guy in, in this meeting. Um, you know, I, you know, we just, we just had different intentions of, you know, a, a some time that we spent together. We just hung out one time and we had different intentions and He's being really, really nice and really pursuing. And I'm, you know, it's just, I, that's just not where I'm at. And I'm having like a really hard time just being like, no, you know, and I, I, that's just so uncomfortable for me. Um, so you start to see it in, in just different ways. Um, and, and I think I also 
you know, start to see it in, uh, you know, as I've gone along in, in different resentments, even because in certain resentments, it's, it's pretty obvious, you know, that like somebody, there are some where it's, it's just obvious that, uh, this person really did most of the harm in the situation. Um, you know, certain family members, it's, it's obvious that like, you know, I, I didn't really do much there, but as I go along, it's like, I actually did, you know, even though this person might've played a much bigger role and it's easier to focus on that. Like I, I did still do some things that didn't make this better. Um, and so it's, it's things like that as we go along, I think. Um, but it's a growing process. You know, I, I wouldn't expect to know all those things in the first, you know, one month, six months of sobriety. I feel like as we, you know, continue to process all these things with a clearer mind, with more knowledge, more we read the book and yeah, it's, talk it's to a other more people. will be revealed process. That that yeah. fourth column in the fourth step is like, oh, I do have a part, you know, yeah. and and that's I I've been toting that around with recent things that I've been struggling with. It's just like, all right, what happened to me isn't directly my fault, but if I am to look for my part in it, sometimes it's like, how long am I going to let this hurt me? How long mm -hmm. am I going to hang on to the pain? Like, and that is my yeah. responsibility. You know, I don't know what that looks like for anybody else, but like, what am I doing to let go? Like, what am I doing to lessen this pain? You know, like, mm -hmm. and I, I recently, like I, I started going to another 12 step fellowship because I've got, I've got a whole heap and pile of pain that the, the first one ain't really taken care of, you know? So it's like, for me, when the pain of things staying the same is greater than the pain of change, that's when change happens for me. It always is that way. And that, and that's the honesty that I have is like, okay, you've hit, a, you've hit a, a you've hit a, uh, another emotional bottom. What are you doing about it? You know? And as far as like people in the rooms, it's like, I, I love, I love, uh, the, the phrase, uh, like dating in the rooms. It's like the, the odds are good, but the goods are odd. Yeah, the goods are fucking odd. And that's and it's just like it's 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 hard it's hard to like when it's not complete chaos to just be like, yeah, I'm not into it like that. You know, like yeah. what I've had relationships crumble in recovery that didn't end in a cheating storm or a screaming match or a fucking like a horrible tornado of shit. They were just like, Yeah, this ain't this ain't right. This ain't good, you know? And that's, that's mm -hmm. hard sometimes because you're used to chaos. And yeah. then sometimes you get into a relationship or a friendship even, and you're like, well, this doesn't really serve me as far as like, this is not what I'm looking for in a friend or a partner or anything like that. And mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like hurting people. Like, I don't like, uh, like I, I've got uh, at my base level, like, yeah, is my give a fuck tank empty most times of what people think of me? Sure. But I also like have a little bit of people pleasing where I don't like hurting people. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I used to love hurting people, and now it's just like I, I know what it's like to feel hurt. So it's like coming up with the amount of honesty uh, in myself to just be like, look, this is the way this feels to me. I could be completely wrong, uh, but like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not down with with that. And I hope you can respect that. Deuces. You know, and then because I could I have the potential to be completely wrong. Uh, so I usually own that part of it. I'm just like, look, like this is the way I perceive what's happening and it could be wrong. Uh, but like, I'm not into that, you know, and that's that's completely OK. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, and it, 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 it does trigger a lot of fear. It, it mm -hmm. triggers anxiety when I got to When I got to create boundaries with people it creates fear and anxiety because it's like, oh, if I create this boundary, they're not going to like me or they're going to talk shit about me or I'm, I can't go to this meeting anymore. Um, like after my father passed away, like I was sharing about the grief in meetings and uh, people kept coming up to me and like telling me what they believed in and what they fucking thought and that they were going to pray for me. And it hurt. It sucked. And I literally had to end my shares with, hey, uh, and after the meeting, please don't come up to me if I don't know you and tell me what you believe in. I'm just asking you to leave me the fuck alone. That's it. I have a sponsor. I have this many years in recovery. I, I'm working th th with a therapist and I just needed a safe place to share what the fuck I'm going through. 
Because a lot of the times, too, if you don't explicitly tell people in the rooms, like, hey, don't do that, or hey, please, I need some space, they're going to throw on the, the the superhero cape and be like, oh, service. Well, I see mm-hmm. some service. I'm going to waddle on up to this person. Yeah. You know, and even though I specifically would say, fucking, don't come up to me after the meeting, <laughs> you'd see people like lurking around, like, hey, I know you said. I'm like, they don't come up to me. Like, I, I know I said I was there, you know, but it's relinquishing the fear that like it, it it truly is one of my favorite phrases. It's it's none of my fucking business what people think of me. I have to create boundaries. Otherwise, the defects of character that I have that I'm not too particularly proud of when my boundaries are stepped over, they're going to they're going to pop up. And, and I'm going to be a person that I don't like to be. So like the best way to do it is just to be like, yo, I'm afraid to do this right now, but like I got to do this right now. And that's how I experience fear and anxiety, even with, with 10 years, like the amount of time doesn't matter, you know? Uh, and that's the next question, Jen, is how do you experience fear and anxiety in your life today? You know, it, it looks so much different than it used to. Um, you know, I can say, I used to have panic attacks like I, I that were so physical, like I was hospitalized one time during a panic attack, panic attack because I thought I was dying, you know, like tunnel vision, like heart palpitations, my you know fingers and toes are like, you know, I feel like I've got balloon hands, like just that kind of thing. You can't move them all very well. And, it, and that's terrifying. And I and I had panic attacks like that for a long time. Um, and but the last time that, that that kind of thing happened was probably like maybe like at six months of sobriety. Um, and so I've had some of the some of the physical symptoms throughout, you know, sobriety as I've moved along, I've I didn't really have the the opportunity to take it easy. Like my first year of sobriety, I had just gotten back into school. I needed to like retake the ACT to, you know, give to schools. And I hadn't been in a math class for 10 years. You know, I had, I was working full time. Like this is my first year of recovery. It was a pandemic. You know, I, I, I didn't really have the ability to just like lay back. Um, and so I was still experiencing a lot of anxiety during the first year of of this. I like my hair was falling out at one point, but it was that kind of experience that like, I was like, I don't want my hair to fall out. You know, that was like realistic, you know, or that's what made it real for me to where, you know, when I, when I would start feeling that overwhelming, like fear response within my body where my nervous system is, you know, just sounding alarms, like can't really control it. You know, that's where. I have to really, you know, ground myself and, and breathe. And I think it took that, that kind of situation to really make me understand, you know, okay, this is what I have to do because if it, if it didn't get to that point, you know, it's, it would have been easy to just kind of like let things, you know, keep running. So I, I would do a lot of just like deep breathing, paying attention to my senses, um, kind of thing. And, and now, you know, now it's, it's nothing like that. It's absolutely nothing like that. Um, you know, I have some fears around things. I'm a a human being. Um, and you know, sometimes my fears and anxieties, like, you know, I have around exams and, you know, sometimes it'll, it'll make my, my brain just go blank. I think that's the one that I'm dealing with right now is in school. When I get anxiety, it's like, I forget how to read. I forget everything. Um, and so that's, that's the biggest thing right now, but, um, you know, I think I've gotten, I've gotten pretty good at seeing, um, where the anxiety starts and being able to get back into my body, um, through my senses, through my breathing, um, and work through it in that way. Yeah, and I don't think we're supposed to be devoid of fear. Like, I, I don't right. know if you've ever run into these motherfuckers, but like they're in the meeting. Like, I don't fear anything. I'm fucking t- today. I'm fearless. It's a yuck. Stay the okay. fuck, stay the fuck away from me. You know, right? Like they're, they're, don't trust that. I, 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 whatever works for whatever. You know, <laughs> but like, I mean, that there was a guy that specifically comes to mind when I think of uh, like he would literally talk in his shares. Like, I don't, I don't fear anything ever. Never, uh, n- n- no fears, no nothing. And I'm just like, yuck. <laughs> like, that's like, 
I mean, I'm, hey, congratulations, spiritual giant. Like, fucking me, I, I still get afraid sometimes. And, like, it don't, like you said, it doesn't it doesn't cripple me anymore. But, like, I got, like, a three-day rule for myself. With, with any extreme emotion for me, like, I've got a three-day rule. Like, the first day, fear, anxiety, or sadness. Like, I just let it happen. I just let it happen. I don't try to fucking squish it like i just let it happen then day two it's like 48 hour mark it's like all right what am i planning on doing about this am i reaching out to people is, is it like that part in the book where i was like is there something i should be sharing with someone that i'm not you know and then day three it's like am i taking action surrounding this emotion is it has it lessened you know and i and i give myself that window like because it's like i know for me i don't like not feeling like the things i want to feel and that's why I drank. Like, I drank to kill feelings. I drank to calm my brain. And so, like, for an alcoholic like me, I have to kind of let emotions run their course a little bit. And then it's like, if it's day three, day four, day five, if I'm really struggling with something, it's like, all right, what am I doing? Like, what actions am I taking to to alleviate these? Because it's like, it's a, you're, it's a response. Like, so it's like your body trying to tell you, hate it. There's something not quite right. This is your little warning light. So like, you can either ignore it and it's going to get worse. Or you can go, okay, thanks, warning light. I'm going to go, like, it, like if you were a car, like, I got to check the oil. I got to, I got to, like, as the tire pressure, you know, so it's like, I got to run through those checks in my body. Like, you know, am I getting enough sleep? Am I, am I feeding myself well, you know? And, and that's, that's an okay thing. And it's like, taking care of me is not the easiest. <laughs> like, I'm very good at taking care of other people. Um, it, 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 I'm really good at it. Uh, but, left to my own devices taking care of me i'm not the best at it i'm not and that's a defect that i've had to work on it's like i've had to work on that over the years it's like you need to take care of you otherwise you're no good to anybody and that's the next question like what defects of character have you uh, worked on or turned over the most probably anything to do with um things that keep me separate from other people um from a higher power from, um, and that relates to resentments as well. And I think it kind of ties back into what I was saying before about like how I always identified as super, super introverted, but really these defects were, were just a way, um, were just a way to keep people away from me, a way to keep myself alone and isolated and away from my disease to then go and get me get me by myself you know it's like that they say it in the rooms all the time about you know like the the gazelle on the edge of the pack you know is going to be the one that gets, that gets off, yeah. eaten off mm -hmm. by the lion and yeah it, and, and I think that relates a lot to fear as well because it's it's my fear of getting close to people that feeds into this cycle of resentments which then you know ends up turning into isolation um and sometimes would turn into just irritability and anger towards people that's completely misplaced. Um, I've done a lot of work on that. I feel like at this point I'm in a I'm in a really great place with really really close friendships, um, and I, I you know I'm just incredibly grateful for that because I just I never thought I never thought that I would be able to have these kinds of close, especially girlfriendships. You know, I've, I was raised by my dad with all brothers, like, and, and I, I never had great relationships with women. I, I feel like the luckiest person to have the women in, you know, my 12 step group around me. Yeah. That's, um, realizing that I need to let people in is mm -hmm. hard. I, yeah. I, I was just talking in therapy, uh, Wednesday. It's just like, Throughout my life, I never really had a best friend. Like, I never had that BFF that people talk about. Like, I never had that person, you know? It was just like, I had friends. Like, I had people I was close with. But I can remember being a little kid and, like, I'd get home from school and, like, no one would call. No one would want to hang with me. And I didn't know why. So, like, I would just go, I would go fishing for hours and hours by myself where I'd play guitar for hours and hours and hours because it's just like I, I was I had to do something to preoccupy myself because I, I just didn't have a best friend and I think a lot of my issues uh, you know currently stem from that is that like I never had anybody really that was like a ride or die person in my life 
you know, my, my father was, and that's why when he passed away, it was so crippling, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but that, I, I have to recognize those things, and I, and I have to forgive myself for being exactly who I am. Like, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a broken person that needs fixing. Like, I'm just a hurt person that needs to heal, you know? Like, it's, mm-hmm. like, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, that's where my brain goes sometimes. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. You, you've done it again, dumb-dumb. Like, what is wrong with you? And maybe there's just a chance that there is nothing wrong with me. It's just how I perceive the world. I just need to shift the perception. Like, I need to participate in forgiving myself, which is very hard, and forgiving the people that have wronged me. Like, I just, you know, I, I, I am so quick to like, oh, yeah, I forgive you. But then it's like, did I really or did I just say it? You know, like, and do I forgive me for being who I am and, and f- like getting to this point in my life that, for lack of better terms, like, I deserve to be where I'm at. I'm, I am inherently good. I'm not saying I fucking kill it all the time, but like, I'm a good dude. And it's so hard for me to just give myself credit for the shit that I'm doing correctly, you know? Like, to give myself the old pat on the back, it just feels gross to me. Yeah, you know, you know, and, and that's and it's a constant. Like I have to constantly try to get in this place of forgiveness for myself and those who wrong me. And that's you know the next question is Jim, Jen, how do you experience forgiveness? You know, I think forgiveness of self is that's something that I've struggled with a lot. But I feel like the more that I the more that I uh, move along, especially because I am studying psychology in school, the more that I learn. The more that I realized that like, I didn't really have a fucking chance, you know, like when I'm in class and they're like, these are all of the ways, like you put these things together and you create a a mentally healthy, well-adjusted human being. And I have none of them. I have absolutely none of them. They're like, oh, you know, if you have this many adverse childhood experiences, you're like this much more likely to become an alcoholic. And I'm like, what if your whole, every day of your life was adverse childhood experiences, you know, like got plenty of addiction in the family, got, you know, just, just everything. And I, and I think that's been a big, a big thing for me is just being able to show myself grace, just be like, kid, like there wasn't really a way for me to not be an alcoholic to have this, you know, or, or some kind of really unhealthy issue here. Um, and, and forgiveness of other people has been a struggle too, because, you know, I'm not the only, I'm not the only person that struggles with like severe trauma and realizing that like people, people have done us wrong. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, realizing that like those people, if I hold on to these resentments towards them, that's what's going to kill me. And I cannot give these people that power that cannot happen in my life. They will not kill me. And so I have to practice working through these resentments and forgiving these people. It's not, it's not for them. These things are objectively wrong, Mm -hmm. objectively fucking wrong things you do not do to other people. But I, I, I can't let that be what takes me under. Yeah. It's like hanging and, on yeah. to poison. It's like, yeah, when absolutely. it's uh, the, the poison doesn't kill the person that wronged me. It kills me. I'm the one carrying the fucking poison in my stomach. And mm-hmm. if I don't, if I don't get rid of it, if I don't, it's just going to eat, it's going to eat a hole in me, yeah. you know? And not only that, it's just like in recovery, it's just like, I don't like doing shit. I got to make amends for. So like, you know, so the old way I used to release the poison was, all right, I'm hurting. I'm going to hurt back. And and that never works out, but it does. Temp, it's a temporary, you feel temporarily good, you know, like hurt people hurt people. And I am, I am mm-hmm. one of those people that like, when you hurt me, I want to fucking teach you not to hurt me. Um, and then, you know, because of recovery, I'm just like, well, we don't, we don't like making amends, Dave. So, uh, you could just sit with that fucking poison and it's, <laughs> it, and, and it's, it's, it's a practice, you know, and, yeah. and that's, you know, I've, I've had, um, I've had good experiences with making amends for the things I've done and I've had people make amends to me. Uh, so Jen, what is, what is the most surprising amends or apology that you've either made or received? So I'm like... 
halfway through my amends. Um, you know, I've worked through all of the steps, but I, I about halfway through my amends. And I think the most surprising one so far was going back to some like long-term, long-term friends who, you know, were from childhood who I always, you know, thought like, I'm the fucked up one in this. I, it, it was obvious that I was the one who, who wronged them in these situations. And, uh, you know, I always thought like these people are good for me and going back after, you know, having a length of sobriety and making these amends and realizing, you know, these amends needed to be made. Uh, but these aren't people that I really want in my life. It was realizing that, you know, you know, I, I was have absolutely my part is that I've been toxic and that I've, I've, you know, done what I've done, but you know, the people that I, that I grew up with, that I've been friends with through this whole entire time, you know, probably had their own toxicity as well. And like, we were running together for a long time and it was, you know, going back to that and really having to realize like, Hmm, like I, I don't think we're going to really be continuing this, this friendship. We just needed to make amends. That, yeah, that's, and that's such an important thing to, to people try to fucking carry these broken relationships with them throughout their lives. And it's just like, it's just, just not, it's, there's no point. There's no, it doesn't serve either of us. It's like, and we can, we can tip our caps and say we tried our best and keep on moving because mm -hmm. it, it ultimately frees up the energy and the space for the friends that we're supposed to have. Not everybody's supposed to be friends with everybody forever. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to look at that too. Not like, like, like I, the people I grew up with, like they're, they're all at each other's weddings and they're all best men and women in the processions. And like, they're people I grew up down the street from. And I used to like get sad. I was like, why is it, why am I not included in that? And then I go like, well, these people all live 10 minutes away from where the fuck we grew up. Yuck. Mm -hmm. Like I, like I literally traveled the country and I got friends in all corners of this state you know in all corners mm -hmm. of this nation and overseas i've got friends you know I, it's like because i i took the chance to expand my world and it's like what i have it doesn't have to look like anybody else it's like i i made peace a while ago that the, the given the career path that i chose it my life's not going to look like everybody else's you know like being a traveling stand-up comedian is not super appealing uh, to, to people who want to just have a regular old settle down life. You go to nine to five, I go to nine to five, we come home, but da, 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 we have kids and shit. And I knew that, but then you, sometimes you look, you, you compare and despair. At least for me, it's like, where I just like, oh, well they, they have a house and a yard and a couple kids and shit. And I'm 35 and I have, I, I got this bag of dick jokes, you know, and fucking, <laughs> you know, I travel and that's fun, you know, uh, but that's you know that's that's the life I chose you know mm -hmm. and and that's it I have to remember that like my daily spiritual practice is I don't know what the universe's plan is for me but I know if I suit up and I show up and I'm honest then I'm gonna I'm gonna be in line with what that is like a friend of mine a New York buddy uh, he said his wife used to say this prayer before getting on stage God please help me be of service with the gifts you have given me. And, and I try that. I try to say that. Like, whenever I got a show, I try to go, okay, how can I be of service with, with the, the life that I've chosen? And I'm not the most spiritual person in the world. I, I just, I, I've ebbed and flowed, ups and downs, you know. The extreme grief really knocked me into a place of, like, my higher power for a long time was just the group of drunks. Um, mm -hmm. So what does your spiritual practice look like on a day-to-day -day basis? No, I do. I do pray in the morning and at night. What I had to, you know, in the beginning, my my higher power was group of drunks as well. Um, and it's something that's evolved. But what I struggled with in the beginning was, you know, what is what is prayer if you are not, you know, if you don't believe in some kind of God, if you're believing in like the group of drunks or or nature or, you know, whatever, whatever you decide that you would like to be your higher power, what are we praying to? And so I, I really had to start out with just like centered, intentional thought. And that's what I would do. I would take time away morning and night to do that. Um, and, it, and there is the whole, like, you know, do you get on your knees? And for me, I, I like that because it's a humbling act physically I feel like it you know it puts me into a place of humility and that's that's necessary for me um 
So we'll, I will do that. And I found it easier to, you know, there's not really that much difference in like, you know, asking for willingness to be open to these things and, and you know, asking to, you know, say, I, I would like to stay sober today. These are very just like cut and dry things. It doesn't need to be some like spooky man up in the sky. Um, and I don't mean that to knock anybody else's image of a higher power. It's just, uh, you know, that's really what some works people for me have because... spooky guys in the clouds. <laughs> I say, yeah. in the clouds. It's, you know, it's, it's important, yeah. though. It's a, it's important to define what your relationship is with your higher power. Like for me yeah. in the beginning, it was higher dude, please help me stay sober. And my sponsor, I was like, can I just call it higher dude? He's like, yeah, I don't give a fuck. Just call it something, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so what would you say your relationship is with that higher power today? If you have one, you know, I think it's just, it's always changing. Um, it's always developing. I'm really looking forward into developing it more. I wanted to, uh, get, you know, just do some more studying of different, like, you know, religions because I've stayed away from religions. And during the pandemic, I wanted to at least like go to like a Buddhist temple, kind of, you know, explore like that. And and now that things are opening up, I have more opportunity to explore that way because there's this connection that I can make with a higher power, you know, just in admitting that like, I'm not the highest being in the universe, but I, I would like to learn from people that came before me who are just further advanced on that. Um, so for me, like, a higher power is light, a higher power is love and connection and gratitude and appreciation. And that also that acronym we use of good orderly direction. I think that one's, that's a big one to me as well. Yeah, I, uh, I've always been a big advocate of the spirit of the universe. Um, yeah. I needed to conceive of powers that I could rely on, you know, like nature is a higher power, like the, you know, things that I could literally look at. Like and another thing was uh, music was a big cornerstone for conceiving a higher power for me. Mm -hmm. It's because it's like I could turn on a song and get goosebumps because the song is so good, you know, yeah. and that's a power that's greater than me. So it's just like uh, the, the keeping the door of willingness open to conceive of any type of higher power is something that I've... I, I don't necessarily think I've had a, a perfect definition of what a higher power means to me per se over 10 years. But like you said, it's like, I know I'm not it. And I know that if I, if I just let go and I, I look at the history that I've never not been taken care of, you know, that's good enough sometimes. And, and what keeps me sober on any given day, and I've said it on the podcast before, it's just like, I made a deal with the universe. 10 years ago, I said, if you help me get my life back, I will do whatever I can to help the next person. And lo and behold, it gave me my fucking life back. And it's not all been easy. And it's there's been a lot of pain. But I have always made good on my end of the deal that I would try to help the next person. And not necessarily whether they got sober or stayed sober or I sponsor them or anything like that. It's just like I, I was given a light. And I, and I and I hold it. And if 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 I'm doing it in what I believe to be correctly, I just hold the light up so people can see it. And um, in regards to service, uh, my buddy John, who's got like 45 years, he said it the best. He goes, "The lighthouse doesn't leave the shore looking for the ships. So you just get that light and you hold it up real high so it can be used by anybody. And that's your job is just to hold that light that you've been given." I love so. that. <laughs> We've reached the last question, Jen. What would you tell someone just like you in the world listening right now? Ooh, to stay open, to stay open. Um, and, you know, as it relates to the 12 steps, I know this isn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily need to be 12 step related, but I think for me, um, for a long time, I was in and out of, I was in and out of the rooms and I, and I was trying to figure out like, are the 12 steps for me? Is this something that, that really works for me? And I realized that like, I couldn't, I kept relapsing and I realized I couldn't make that decision without actually doing the work. Um, and so, so staying open to the opportunities, open to new ideas, open to new suggestions, open to other people's belief systems. It would just be to open myself, really to open myself. I, I lived very closed off for a long time. 
There we go. We did it. You didn't think you could do it, and you did it. You you podcast it. You you did the deal. Um, <laughs> usually during this uh, moment of the podcast, is is there anything you would like to promote slash bring awareness to? I know for like comedians, they're like, "Here's my social media handle." But is there any is there any causes that you support that you would like people to find? Ah. Uh. Ooh, trick question. Just springing it on me. You know, I'm not going to give people my Instagram handle um, or any of that. I don't even think um, I, I don't even think I follow you on Instagram. So like fucking it's not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like a, a, a Instagram famous person. I have like a thousand followers. <laughs> um, you know, really? No. Then look for Jen. <laughs> H in New York City meetings, uh, carrying the message of experience, strength, and hope. Um, I want to thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It was a delight to uh, talk to you again, um, especially uh, at two years. That's such a big deal. I mean, I remember a few years ago when you were just coming back around again, and it's good to see you healthy. It's good to see you relatively happy, and you're you're New York City living. You're a Chicago gal in the Big Apple, and I'm very proud of you, John. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's good to see you as well. And if you're listening to the podcast right now and you want to connect with us, you can find us on all social media platforms at 12QPod, 12QPod. You can send us an email, 12QPod at gmail.com. We do answer listeners' questions from time to time. And if you want to support me, Dave Yates, directly, you can find me at Yates Comedy, Y-A-T-E-S Comedy on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all the shit. And if you want to support me directly, you can buy hot sauce from me, ha ha hot sauce.com. I will ship you delicious hot sauce. Uh, and that's that's the deal. And how we end this podcast every single time. Uh, Jen, if nobody's told you this today, we love you. Oh, I love you. And if you're listening to this podcast and no one's told you this today, we love you, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>